in the beginning, there was the word. And that word was... In 1964, a child was born, born, who would rise to the pinnacle of film iconography. Iconography, 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 iconography. In this podcast, we choose the finest of his many fine, fine works. Fine. We bring you... The Cage Fight! Cage! Yeah! I'm in a cage! Can you see me? I'm here! In this cage! Welcome back to Fight Night, Cage Fight Podcast Round 2, the epic oral contest where we determine the greatest of the great, the best Nicolas Cage film of all time. Uh, I'm Andrew, this is Drew. Good evening. I'm excited. I'm very excited tonight to be worshipping at the Temple of Cage outside... The rain is falling down. It's w- worthy of the Snake Eyes finale. It's almost Bangkok dangerous, but uh, Snake Eyes finales, yeah. And there's the no tidal wave here, but maybe soon, maybe Ma- soon. So we are continuing on uh, with our Cage Fight theme of great directors who have worked with Cage uh, tonight. We'll be looking at the films of David Lynch and Mr. Ridley Boo. Scott. Yay! Is that is that? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Am I displaying bias? I didn't mean to. Really, I look forward to knowing more of these biases very soon. We have not discussed these films with one another, no. um, nor our thoughts on either of the, the no. directors, really. The conversation's be been awkward. <clears throat> it has. It was an awkward car ride over here. <laughs> but uh, It's only because you kept touching my leg. I know. Wow. Those knees. They're so they're so I, I will wear hot pants, I know. I've only got myself to buy. I know, they're so knobbly and those little cutoffs <laughs> where your pockets hang out at the bottom. They're Daisy Dukes, damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I what's the difference? <clears throat> Hair length, usually. Anyway, we're not here to discuss cutoffs, Daisy Dukes, <laughs> denims, whatever you want to call them. We're here to discuss the films of the great man Nicolas Cage. Uh, each episode, we are going to be looking at two of his films in a particular category, then picking one winner so we can uh, determine the ultimate Nicolas Cage film. Last week, Snake Eyes inexplicably slammed Raising Arizona flat on its hairy ass. It certainly did. Mm. Uh, this is in the face of all critical opposition to the contrary, but what we're looking at here is not just film quality, we're looking at, you know, the, the cage factor. It doesn't override necessarily everything, but, uh, you know, it, it, it brings a lot to bear, as has been seen. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, we're looking to, to see if his performance uh, measures up to the film around him. 
Um, often we like to start with a bit of Cage news. Not a lot going down Cage. What's new in the world of Cage? Well, not a lot. Um, you did flick me this little article uh, that was uh, in the Australian, which they poached from the Times. I don't know. Is that what journalism's come to? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I think once it all goes online, everyone feels comfortable descending to the level of university undergraduates and just sort of taking whatever they've seen, passing it off as their own. Well, well done, Australian. You've pretty much just slapped this on your page. It's a pretty Oz form of journalism, isn't it? It's like, it yeah, here's some news. It's It was reported in the UK. You guys would probably find it interesting. Here it is. Um, it just slapped the, the, the title of the Times down the bottom. But um, our, the headline that we're looking at is Nicolas Cage downgraded like John Travolta in Khan's market. Now, what immediately and comes what a to... pairing. You just go, you know, they were meant to be. They were meant... They, they're inexplicably linked. I, I can't believe it stopped at face-off. But, uh, you know, before and since... Last last podcast, in fact, I believe, uh, Blowout, uh, in talking about Brian De Palma, a John Travolta film... There you go. ...was discussed. It was. So, yeah. He's always there. He's always just waiting in the wings. Any t- John Travolta. Any time. What's he doing now? What is he doing now? He's John. just he's just wrapped a... Uh, well, he's not just wrapped. It's been a while. He's wrapped a Western film. Oh. With Travolta? Yeah, with Ty West, who did like House, have you seen House of the Devil and uh, mm. Innkeepers and mm. nah, nah. Anyway, it could be interesting. Could be interesting. Could be the the third the third. Um, I'm praying it's it's extremely dull and bad, and that might drive John Travolta to uh, seek out another partnership with the no doubt incredibly lucrative Nicholas Cage. Anyway, according to the Australian, uh, well via the Times. For actors once considered A-list, having one's name and face on a mocked-up film poster in the market uh, is an indicator that their brand is losing value. It's really? akin to being a prostitute on the waterfront, I think, All oh, right, they're saying there. And they're, they're coming very close to actually calling the prostitutes because hmm. the, the hotels are on the waterfront and they've got these poster boards in the window or something. And, and, and really, you know, they're just going, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are quite old now. We're not interested in people as old as them. But this look, I don't, I don't know whether this journo's fingers on the pulse because I've, mm. I've heard, I've heard this right in the, in the, uh, in the whole Hollywood system and stuff they go with now when they're trying to get like budgets and stuff up for a film. There's a certain list of actors who sell well internationally. And they're basically like, you will only get the money if you cast one of these actors in your film. So they're the likes of Cage is obviously on there, obviously Travolta, Bruce bankable, Willis. Bankable stars. Yeah, yeah, but big yeah and who are willing to do something? Like Bruce Willis, you give the man 250 grand, you roll around to his house a for Japanese a Japanese commercial. A couple of hours <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. He sits up, if long as the scenes, him sitting on a couch talking to someone on a phone, <laughs> you put him in your movie and you can get it up internationally. I'm pretty sure Cage is on that list, which is why we see films like Stop. Stolen and rage and nah. Well, yes. Stolen, I, I, it's hard to go past rage. I, rage looks like an intriguing premise to me, moderately so. It's, it's a bit different. I'm not going to go into that now because we will get to that weeks from now if you stick with us. Anyway, Cage's name, for example, is attached to at least three films being marketed this year, including U.S. in uh, Indianapolis. And they say Men that like it's some kind of oh that's bad three he's doing three films this year he must be in trouble we like, talked we had played the clip last time man likes to work he's a working dog he just like wants he to does work what he wants to do and he does it back the fuck off I Australian wish I had that via kind the of Times freedom exactly right um, anyway they're coming down on him 
especially about being in USS Indianapolis, uh, men of courage, which I believe I called men of honor on the last podcast. So my apologies. That was a that's a you did but with such Cuba passion Go- it overrode the logic of it. A Cuba Gooding Junior film, it's, which oh, I'm pretty sure it. I'm pretty sure he's on the wall down there at the Marcade of fucking Cannes or whatever it is. But um, he's uh, trying to get sneaky. USS Indianapolis, men of courage, is directed by Mario Van, Van Peebles. Was he not in Jaws: The Revenge? I don't know. I know hey, Mario man. Van Peebles from um, he he made a west. I'm looking. I am currently oh. looking it up. Sorry, in the in the background. In remember. that case, Mario Van Peebles is the, the son of Melvin Van Peebles, the uh, legendary black exploitation actor. Excellent. You Please know take this. Us back. I see from your expression. Made the <laughs> classic film Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, and that's not. A I believe there's an extra there S in there. S's. In it, and uh, Mario Van Peebles actually played the young Melvin Van Peebles in that film, in the brothel scene in which he has sex for the first time. In the film or for reals? A uh, bit of both, right. if legend is to be believed. It's one of the Mario Melvin Van Peebles allegedly contracted syphilis in the con- the making of that film <laughs> and claimed it as a working expense because he spent so much time having sex during that film. Incredible. Incredible. Now, hang In on. In fact, Mario Van Peebles made a film about the making of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song where he played his father directing... Mar- I don't know who played... This is getting a bit inception Layers upon layers. Anyway, I think... Was the film... Is that Badass? Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Okay. 1971 or something. Look, this is taking forever. I swear to God he is in Jaws of Revenge. If we People pause quietly, we can probably edit some of this out. Look, no, we, we don't edit. We're just going to roll up. <laughs> we tell, tell we me went more. 90 minutes last time. We're going to do it again. I'm sure people would love to know more about how Mario Van Peebles' dad dealt with his syphilis situation. So Not Penicillin, I imagine. Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Actors' Equity funded penicillin. I am here to tell you that, indeed, Mario Van Peebles was in Jaws the Revenge. Yeah! There you go. That's now he's Michael Caine. Yeah. It was with Michael Caine. That's with Jaws is like the shark just goes, yeah, you know, I'm going to follow this family down to the Bahamas. Why not? It's a murderous shark. Now, look, to be fair. How does it know? Some of the script was cut out. There was a voodoo curse. Oh. Yeah. And that's when the shark roars. Michael Caine, he's up there and he's playing. How do we get onto this? I don't know. We Indianapolis. Have Indianapolis, Indianapolis yeah. Shark movie. One of his sh- many films. Also which I stars think Cage. Anyway, mm. Um, mm. they're mm. claiming that Cage has fallen uh, uh, from the peak of his, his big budget movies, like National Treasure. Peak. Yeah. Which 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 bec- apparently they cost a hundred. They're just saying that because well, they cost a hundred and twenty. making stance, he probably has. He has. Anyway, they're saying. linking him in with Travolta, but here here comes the uh, here comes a real slap in the face down the other end. Uh, actors who feature heavily in the Cannes market. Once again, they're saying it like it's a bad thing, but actors who feature heavily in the Cannes market this year include Vinnie Jones. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, Dolph Lundgren. Well, yes. Yes. He's had. He just had Kindergarten Cop two released. No. Yes. No. Yes. The man has a master's in chemical engineering, and now he's in Kindergarten Cop two. I don't know that that article was. It was puff. It was filler. It They're was, just, like I said, it's, it's a journal going. I need to file some crap. Put in some Khan thing that everyone knows already anyway. But it takes us back to first principles. It's it's it's, it's what we're trying to do here is to resur- not to resurrect the name of Cage to not take a fresh look at him. I don't think maybe it needs in it. doing that we will resurrect him and nail him to the cross, a new time again. And, of course. Uh, can't wait to see the expression on his face when we do. It's gonna be. I can't wait to see, hear what he yells <laughs> as he's up there. 
on that cross. Oh God! I can't Truly, wait. an infinite realm of possibilities springs exactly. before us. Because yelling things at his peak is is, and if we might go to the uh, the baseline ten of Cage in Fu Manchu. Yeah, I, I can imagine him up there on the cross, possibly yelling something like this. This is my baton. <laughs> Can't wait to see how that translates into our individual feelings for Cage in the first film on the menu tonight. David Lynch's Wild at Heart from 1990. Drew? Uh, incidentally, following up on the conversation we just had, um, hi to the jury if this is being played in court. Um, but uh, we, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get into Wild at Heart, uh, the film directed by uh, David Lynch in 1990. Um, what, are your th- what are your thoughts on David Lynch before we get into this? Because... Um, you know, a lot of people do herald him as a great filmmaker, but but, but what? how do you feel as far as your appreciation of his films go? I have slightly mixed emotions. Uh, my large... My, my, my first significant exposure to David Lynch came when I was in 12th grade and with some friends we had an overnighter and someone decided to hire the full VHS box set of Twin Peaks and to watch it all in one go in one night. I didn't care for it. I fell asleep behind the couch and I woke up a bit later and it was still playing and waking up, peering over the couch and seeing what was on the TV and hearing it, it was one of the most surreal moments of my life and that pretty much sums up David Lynch for me. It was just batshit weird instants strung together to form a barely coherent plot. However, having seen that and then gone, what a dickhead, what a wanker, I have... I had subsequently seen The Elephant Man, not realising it was David Lynch, and thought, this is a masterpiece, as indeed The Elephant Man, I believe, is an absolutely sensational, fantastic film, possibly because it was produced by Mel Brooks, but overall, uh, beautiful, coherent, which is nice in a David Lynch film. And and, and rare. Yeah, yeah, no, a, a really good film. Um, but yeah, overall, and... The reputation has stuck with him, and uh, I narrowly avoided seeing Lost Highway one time. Some friends were going to go and see it, and I couldn't make it with them. And then the next day, they told me about the film, and I said, what a stinking load of masturbatory shit. Um, so, yeah, mixed feelings. I know he does put together some good images, some good high-concept stuff, apparently. You um, really went for the Lynch jugular there. Uh, can, can I just say... Um, Having you call uh, Lost Highway a um, high piece of mass. It also it look, it's got Bill Pullman in it, who I can't stand. Oh, really? Works against it. It does. Uh, that's unfair. Um, but yeah, go on. Um, it's probably the film of his I like the most. Um, but I haven't seen it for a long time. I did want to see it before we did this podcast again to refresh. I haven't seen it since many many years. Probably I late nineties. Holland Drive has lots Early of 2000s. topless ladies going at each other. So maybe that's. Maybe that's more up your alley. <laughs> anyway, look, I, I, I think for me, when it comes to David Lynch, I can appreciate his stuff. Like the visuals and everything look really, really great. But I do find it very hard to get into his films. Um, and I was just looking up basic stuff on um, on Lynch to see what people thought. And it seems that uh, Roger Ebert um, has similar thoughts on David Lynch. Uh, mm. He says, uh, there is something inside of me that resists the films of David Lynch. I'm aware of it, I admit to it, but I cannot think my way around it. I sit and watch his films, and I'm aware of his energy, his visual flair, his flashes of wit, but as the movie rolls along, something grows inside of me. Um, an indignation, an unwillingness, a resistance. 
And that's how I feel when I watch his movies too. I'm, I'm with that's you. That's pretty close to it. Yeah, and no, yeah. I'll go with that. Before we get too admired in it, uh, do you want to give us a quick summary or will I, of, of the plot? Plot. I'm doing the air quotes right now and I you hate are. myself for it, but yep. the plot of Wild at Heart. Okay, uh, before I do that, let us have a look at the trailer. Can I talk to Lula? You are not going to see him ever. Okay. I'd go the far end of the world for you, baby. A man can't ask for more than that. You move me, Sale. You really do. You want me to shoot Sailor in the brains with a gun? Lola! I didn't have much parental guidance. Baby, you better run me back to the hotel. You got me hotter in Georgia asphalt. (laughs) (laughs) This whole world's wild at heart and weird on top. Young lovers Sailor and Lula run from a variety of weirdos that Lula's mum has hired to kill Sailor. And stop, you're lying if you say you're not thinking of Sailor Moon every time someone calls him Sailor. That's true. It's not the most masculine of names. Maybe mm. due to the anime cartoon of the 90s doing that to us. But yeah, what it doesn't sound like the most masculine name. So Nicolas Cage plays uh, Sailor, uh, Laura Dern... Play, mm. Who's a who's a bit of a Lynch staple? I think she was in. Yes. Yeah. Was she um, she's been in a couple. I did look her up. I forget which ones. In fact, Industrial Symphony Number no. One or Number no. Two, I believe, was the title. Followed shortly on from this, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, uh, and I've yet to track down footage of it. It was a stage musical where they play basically the same characters. Is 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 they're they're lovers who are breaking up. All right, and that's about the most. Coherent thing about it. I believe it also features a dwarf doing some sawing through wood. Brilliant. <laughs> so, make of that what you will, but um, yeah. I, can, I wish I had that just as a screensaver. It's just this dwarf working its way through a big hunk of wood. <laughs> Look it up. Look, apparently it involves elevation and, and wire stunts or something as well. It's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Anyway, so basically they play two lovers uh, the the movie starts out they're they're um, together in some kind of venue right they come they r- rushing out they're in love um, then a, a gent comes up and basically uh, says to Laura Dern that um, Nicholas Cage tried to fuck her mum yes and then no he says it to Cage he gets Cage separate oh. and goes, yeah I just want to have a word with you um, Marietta said you just tried to fuck her in the toilets and so she paid me to kill you. That's it. At which point, Cage gets a little bit medieval on said gentleman's behind and follows it up with what I believe peaks with the cagiest moment of the film. Cage has beaten the gentleman to death at the foot of the stairs, points up the stairs at the woman that targeted him with the cigarette in his hand. And that's why I say I can't hate Lynch if he can make visual moments like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, so... Out there comes, Little Brown Jug is playing. You can't go past a little bit of Little Brown Jug. The confrontation happens. Boom, mega extreme violence. Cage sort of beats this uh, guy to guy to death. Laura Dern's there. She lets loose with a psycho crazy uh, scream. All hell gets loo- goes loose. Cage, uh, Cage, Cage, Cage does the crazy point. 
and um, and then it and then it's it's basically on. So they end up Cage ends up in in prison, right? There's there's a stint in prison, not shown. He, they show him getting out of prison, and yep. then uh, essentially the road movie starts. I guess there's. Uh, did you think of a little bit of uh, Life Less Ordinary? Did that come to mind when you? Not at all. No. no. Okay. I'm not hugely familiar with that film. I think I've only ever seen it once, but for some reason I kept thinking of that. I s- now that you mentioned it, I kind of get it, but the pacing in that is a bit more um, conventional. Yeah. This, they just, it's essentially, they're on a road movie. They keep stopping, telling stories to one another about their past, about different people. Um, they have sex, they tell a story, they move on, they have sex, tell a story, move on. Meanwhile... Sometimes uh, they have sex while they're telling stories. Exactly. Meanwhile, uh, the mum, Laura Dern's mum, who doesn't want her seeing Nicolas Cage's character, has these crazy weirdo kind of hitmen guys after them. This is this description, I feel, is lending the film a... Um a normalcy and a coherency it doesn't actually have. You recall a moment, uh, the series of moments, because um, Laura Dern's mum, who's actually played by Laura Dern's mum. Oh, really? I yes. Did not, uh, <laughs> Diane Ladd is Laura Dern's mother. There we go. And so, she she was nominated for an Oscar for she this. She was. She was. And I think that's just because they were too frightened to say no when she turned up on their doorstep and saying, can I have an Oscar? Because, uh, yeah, no, she... she it's... Uh, See, Lynch, it's dream-like. Dream is the word that's often associated, and it's difficult to sort of say why. Partly because I guess it's difficult to say exactly what is a dream. When I try to recount a dream, it does kind of turn out like David Lynch film. Like, yeah, I was walking down some stairs after this ball, and then a guy attacked me, and then all of a sudden we were in a bar somewhere, and you didn't have any pants on, and your mother was wearing lipstick all over her face. And then there was this guy that had all these women that didn't wear any tops, and he was called Mr. Reindeer, and he was sitting on the toilet. Yeah, which happens in this film. That does happen in this film. I did. Did you not like the cut of Mr. Reindeer's jib? He was a uh, he was a classy guy. A real this man's like you know what you know. This is what life has to offer for me, and um and I will accept it on this platter. He and was. I'll roll with it. He he was sipping tea on that toilet. He was he was just kicking back. A topless girl there sipping away at the tea. Had topless waitresses all on the time. A phone. Yep. Um, let's let's um, let's focus on Cage a little bit first before we get to the other people. Um, Definitely, because there's all too little Cage in this film, as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad that you said that because I thought exactly the same thing. We spend um, a bit too much time away from Cage mm. when he's when he's on. Um, he's kicking goals. Um, for starters, I, I thought his character. I watched this film on DVD as soon as I put it in the player. It loads up the menu screen, which has they know their Cage. It cuts straight to some pure Cage from the film. Won't jump to it now it was like you know what you're in for and i was i was champing at the bit to get to it when i me, saw that me too and the same deal like even even at the start like he is he 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 comes out with all he's got as he tends to do for starters i love the way uh he he talks to laura dern he's always like let's go dance and peanut peanut Man, i love the peanut i've been, I've been trying like to him. use that in my life i want to bring uh, it I've, been trying to, I've, I've called my children peanut and didn't work I Called my wife peanut didn't quite work no I haven't quite called my work colleagues peanut yet, but I'm I'm working up to it. You got to get yourself one of those snakeskin jackets. He oh, wears a very cool. That snake- was Cage's own jacket. It is true. It is Cage's own jacket. He was kicking around because, of course, it is. Yes, of course, it is. It was very, it was was very very cool. Which he gave to Laura Dern once they finished filming. Mm, by the way, he said, yeah. "Take take this home with which you." Peanut. Which kind of leads me into the, we're talking about. There's not enough Cage in this film. There's a lot of other people amped up, 
And my first thought was Laura Dern is just working hard in this film. But part of what's going on is, uh, I forget whether it was Cage or Dern said in, in what I read, that they, they decided that um, Sailor and Lula were, were two halves of the same character. And it it makes a lot more sense in that regard because there's a lot of quiet Cage. There's a lot of, you know, Cage lying in bed kind of gazing out. But, you know, thoughtful, meaningful. But but Laura Dern, who, her character Lula is is... She's got a lot going on in her past, in her present. She's young. She's she's amped up. She's on. She's out of control. And and Sailor's not in control. But but between the two of them, yeah, no, that does work. I love the stuff when they were going crazy. I just I just kind of wanted uh, more of that. Um, Let's go dancing. Yes, cages fight dancing. I that's what I wrote down in my notes when they said "Let's go dancing," and then it goes to a speed metal club, and she's like. Oh my god, that's the, not what I was expecting. It's so I, cool. I tell you what, that's a stage show that I would watch ten hours yes. of just cage fight dancing next to a dwarf soaring through wood. That <laughs> That is my kind of theatre, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's what I that's what I could watch all yes. night long. And he's in that jacket, he looks cool, he's got the crazy hair. He even and the guy in the in the club starts to say that, that it symbolizes my pers- belief in per- individuality and the freedom. It's in, let me just uh, Sorry, go fix you up on the quote yeah. there because it's important we get this right. It's an impression of his individuality and his belief in personal freedom. Personal that's, freedom. That's what that snakeskin jacket's all about, all about, baby. So I love that. I love that he, Cage did his own crooning in this in this movie. Yes. He yeah. did the, he did the song "Love Me," uh, which I believe we're going to play out with tonight. I certainly hope so. There's nothing better than ending a night with staring up at the stars or raining these storm clouds in our case and here and. Nicholas Cage personally caress your eardrums with his velvet tones. Speaking of uh, eardrums, I don't know um, how your DVD fared uh, during that scene. How did you go with the uh, the the female fans in the audience screaming during that scene? Do you remember that? Uh, in the speed metal club, uh, when he did the crooning of "Love Me." Here, this is. Let me see if I can bring it up here and uh, see if, see if you remember this. Here are some more small sound effect errors that Drew has noticed. That, that seems perfectly rational to a man breaking out into an Elvis song in the middle of a speed metal club. They're screaming like banshees. I was I was watching this in the lounge room. What I want to know is who gave all the spectators microphones? Cause clearly, they're amplified to also be that that loud. I felt like my house was being evil demons or spirits were being driven into my house. Ah, I had to get an old well, priest and a young you don't priest. Have any in. small girl children? Ah, right. You won't yes. be privileged to that. This is your joy. This is your daily routine, isn't it? This oh, kind of thing. I remember a sixth birthday party, but that's neither here nor there right now. Exactly. So, well, look, we can both agree that Cage is awesome in this film. Laura Dern is awesome in this film. Uh, surprisingly, Cage isn't the weirdest person in this movie, and he's we've not largely because he's not given enough. No, no, I, I wouldn't even say it's not because he's not given enough screen time. The character-wise, there are other ones who are 
Bobby Peru, chiefly, of course, as yes. we're going to get to. Yes. Um, so, uh, Crispin Glover. You can always guarantee oh. Crispin Glover's I going. I saw him in the opening titles and I, oh, oh, I was excited. Together. There probably wasn't enough Crispin Glover in no. this for me either. Although, I was conv- when I saw him there, I'm looking for him all the way along and I'm convinced I saw him as one of the henchmen in the background, P- Perdita Durango's guys. I don't know. I was I was yeah. looking, but once again, I was being. I got a little bit lynched, and um, I was like <laughs> trying to keep thought, my engagement. Sh- surely he can't be just that character that had the weird thing that has no. He must appear in some background. No, I don't know. So for I mean, probably everyone knows who Crispin Glover is, but if you don't, he uh, was George McFly in the original Back to the Future. Um, you might also remember him from Friday the 13th, Part 4, The Final Chapter. Oh, um, except for the other seven. Yes, there are more chapters, but but he was in the, the, the fourth and final chapter that wasn't <gasps> the final chapter. There was a dance thing. There was one, a dance thing. Yes. Yes, there was. A pretty crazy dance. Now, Crispin Glover claims that that dance, um, crazy dance, was not his fault because apparently on set he was dancing to ACDC, he says, um, but then when the film came around to uh, post-production, they couldn't get the rights to the song, so they put another song in. I have a bit of difficulty believing that. I think Crispin Glover would just wouldn't stop dancing and they were forced to film him and include it in the film. Exactly right. I, I would buy that. Um, there's also there's a lot of cr- uh, crazy uh, Crispin Gloverness online. Did he also play Hannibal? No, that's... No, no, no. The guy in the Hannibal TV series who was Le Chiffre in the Bond movie. Yes, he was. Looks a lot like Crispin Glover. Yeah. Oh, come on, kind he of, Kind of, kind of, kind of. I'm supporting you, you're my co-host, so I'm supporting you. Anyway, Crispin Glover in there, he's going crazy, a bit of a crazy Christmas sequence. Also, Willem Dafoe pops up for a little bit of wackiness. Also nominated for, gee whiz, if not an Academy Award, then certainly BAFTA and some, I think he actually took, he took one home for it, I think. I want to say this, I thought Cage looked good in a stocking in Raising Arizona, but you put a stocking Son, over Willem. Son, you got a panty on your head, was you, what I thought when, as soon as they go into that robbery. You put a panty on Defoe's head and you have got yourself an awesome looking mug. All I thought was... I want, I want to know who makes his dentures because I love those teeth. They were some good teeth. I want I want one of that. You remember those grass heads you used to get in primary school? You used the to wear them. And, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want one of those, but it's just a Defoe head, <laughs> which would work really well because his head does get blown clean off in this movie, which is... <gasps> oh, wasn't that... I don't know what version I saw. Apparently, there was some editing and refilming of that bit to, to get it under the R rating or the NC-17. I can't make head nor tail of the US rating system. I thought... I would have thought NC-17 is under R, but obviously we got a different one in Australia. But but uh, yeah, I saw I saw a head go off up into the sky and then splatter on the ground when I'm watching this, and I would not accept anything less. It was impressive. The violence in this movie is very very good. But yes, um, we obviously have our, our our feelings how this movie went and on. And the sex? Do we, do we have a moment to discuss the sex? We do have a moment film? to discuss the sex, and I'm glad you brought this up because this will segue nicely into where I was going to go next. Right. But, but please talk to me about the sex. Uh, well. The sex is in the words of Salt and Pepper. Talk to me about this sex. It's visceral. It's pungent. It's right there in front of you. It's as if an entirely different director made the sex scenes and stapled them in over the top of it because it it it's not smooth. It doesn't flow. I gather that's the intent mm-hmm. to can roughly confront you with the sexualization, but. Uh, Look, it's all very well for us to sit here and shit on Lynch um, because we, we do f- find it hard to engage um, in his material and, and, and a lot of people do love his material and I it's completely respect that. It's a double-edged sword. I kind of go, this is interrupting my experience of film viewing, but the other hand I go, kind of go, 
good on you for providing an experience of film viewing that's a bit jarring. Yes. Like it's it's Wow, you said that a lot more eloquently than <laughs> than I expected you were going to take that. <laughs> but but that's like look, okay, let's let's just give uh, Lynch himself a chance to talk and tell us what where he was going uh, with with this film. Um, and then I want to show you something else I found. But here's what David Lynch has to say about Wild at Heart. In life, you never know what's going to come along next. And there's very tender moments, and then there's very violent moments. And then there's confusion and despair, and then suddenly you're in love. So there's got to be room for all these things, you know, in a in a film. Now I know that wasn't visual, but anyone who's seen a picture of David Lynch at the time of Wild at Heart will agree with me here that he is about the most '90s-looking man that ever lived at that time. <laughs> he has sports coats. He's got his hair half, and he's like, "Man, you are 1990 personified." He was living at large. He was twin peaking that shit the Absolutely. whole way. Absolutely. Yes. Bless him. And he's bringing I'm, it back. I'm liking him as, as time rolls on. <laughs> look, I, I like him. I, I wish, and look, maybe it's because I'm to do with my intelligence. I wish I uh, was could get into his films even more. Like I said, was a big fan of Lost Highway. A Razorhead is a bit of an experience, but... I want to um, see it. What's that? Oh, I want to see a Razorhead just because it's, it's, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's worth checking out. There is an effect in there of a baby, and I, you would, as a as a father, you would probably appreciate a razor hair because that's what it's about his his fears of becoming a father. There is a baby effect in there of the the baby that comes out. I don't know how it's how it's done, and apparently they've never shared how they created these effects. But it's pretty incredible. Actual baby. No, you're gonna have to check that out, my friend. Mm. But anyway. Um, Interestingly enough, because we do need to, to move on, I feel like we've only just scratched the surface of Wild at Heart, but I mean, that's... We have, and... and, and uh, oh, sorry, you... Uh, I mean, it's, it's very hard to go into, but, but, but before, we, before we wrap up and sort of give our final thoughts on that and our recommendations, um, I do want to... Uh, you bring up the 90s, and I want to... I, I don't know whether in the 90s you were familiar with a little show called The Word... At all? No. No, probably because you didn't live in the UK. No. Um, but just to just to bring you up to speed on the word, no, and I would like to um, to show you a few things uh, through this episode of the word. Um, here's here's the um, here's the introduction of this particular episode of the word. Hollywood actor Nicolas Cage had to put up with charges of nepotism when his uncle Francis Ford Coppola gave him his first starring role in Rumblefish. Highly praised performances, though, in films like Raising Arizona, Moonstruck, and now Wild at Heart, have since established Nicolas Cage as one of Hollywood's brightest stars. He dropped into the word earlier for a little chat. That's the intro to the word. That's the word. It is the word. He's a bit Nicholas of a lad, Cage this guy. dropped into the word. He certainly did. He dropped into the word uh, in the 1990s, and we're just going to take a little bit of a, a look at the interview that they do with him right now, just to sort of bring us up to speed on what Mr. Cage's thoughts were on on the film. Obviously, um, Wild at heart, at, can, age, at age 26. Yes, you can see this on uh, YouTube, and take in how very 90s that set is right mm. there. Um, the, the host, I think I had hair like that. It was. Um, but he uh, he certainly you know he's he's a bit he's a bit of a cheeky English rascal and he wants to get Mr Cage he's down to to talking about the sex in this film straight away. So let's um, also get a sense here of where where Cage Did Cage's like headspace is. Laura Dern's titties. Are you getting typecasting a lot of unhinged roles? <laughs> well, you know, I just happen to be unhinged myself, so it just sort of falls into place naturally. I can't help it, but I dig your. Uh, your studio here, the word, it's kind of cool. 
the uh, the coloration is wild. Some of the sex scenes are wild at heart, were quite raunchy, weren't they? Uh, the sex scenes are kind of wild, but but I think that actually the sex is uh, it's very sweet, it's very pure, it's. Uh, it's uh, it's not an exploitive kind of sexuality. I think it's a celebration of sexuality. It's kind of like saying that if you're really in love, it's cool to have radical sex. Your thoughts, sir, when you when you finish laughing your ass off. I was all ready to say something, and then he said, "It's kind of cool to have radical sex." It is. That's that's why I've got that. That's my oh. that's my bumper sticker. It's cool to have radical sex. Who can I pay to tattoo that somewhere on me? <laughs> well, I know exactly where it should Kinda go. Kind of cool to have radical sex. Cool. So they stay on the on the sex chat, um, and it'll be interesting um, to discuss sexual positions after after this little chat. Do you actually learn anything that you can use in real life from your choreography and those kind of scenes? Um, well, we we talked about various favorite <laughs> positions. And David said what his favorite position was, and I said what mine was, and Laura said what hers was. So we all got our favorite positions in there. And uh, yeah, sometimes you borrow from it. Life imitates art, and art imitates life. So Nick had his uh, input into his favorite positions. Laura had hers. David had his. So essentially, David Lynch, the man sitting there watching them touch each other, said, No, this is what I like to see. God, but essentially you can now play the game um, where you can sit down with your friends and you can try and pick whose <laughs> sex move is who. Yeah, ooh, that's a key. Yeah, ooh, that's Lynch. That's look at that. Oh, look Lynch. at the way Dern's rocking those nipples. That's, that's definitely a Dern. A Dern. Um, but our but our host gets a little bit more raunchy in terms of um, delving into Mister Cage's sexual exploits on screen. I saw I saw that you know in life might be more enjoyable, not as visually good on the screen well you tend to ham it up a little on the screen you try to make it look like you're really good at it um <laughs> ha 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 anyway uh but uh, it's enjoyable in life yeah come on sex is where it's at sex is where it's at sex ham Weak, weak. <laughs> All right. Now, the, since sex is where it's at, uh, why not use your uh, character from Moonstruck? Your character with he's got a wooden hand in Moonstruck. Um, so the uh, the host goes uh, straight for the hot topic on that one. Mm, I mean, you were quite <clears> a smouldering type of character in uh, Moonstruck, weren't you? Did did that actually, you know, increase your Sexual appetite or turnover, my, was my turnover. Um, well, uh, well, uh, possibly so. You know, uh, girls like guys with wooden hands, and in Moonstruck, I had a wooden hand, and that just you know really turned them on. They uh, they dig it for some reason. You should try it. Get yourself a wooden hand. Go out there uh, like Piccadilly Squares or whatever. Check it out. You will not fail. Yeah, hi, uh, Doctor. I'm looking to have a hand amputated. Um, uh, well, apparently girls like a wooden hand. Oh, are we on? Shit. Uh, hey, Drew, uh, that that was a weird interview. Can you not be arranging that? Uh, sorry. Uh, he called me, I swear. What the fuck is this show? What is the word? What is going on? It's, it's like a magazine dedicated to wooden hand aficionados is all I can assume. We will move on. Yes. Cage is going to be uh, spending a little bit more time in the UK, um, he states at the end of this interview. What do you think he is going to choose to do with his time? 
um, I would assume he'd be spending time with other actors, learning the craft, honing other other methods of expressing himself, possibly. Or in the snake wing of the National Museum. Possibly. But he's got one thing to cross off his bucket list before he does that. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for coming in. What are you going to be doing this weekend in London, then? I'll have to lo- uh, lock Ness and check out if I can find that monster. Because I'm going to hang out in Scotland until I find it. Now, I hear it's been quiet for eight years. But I'll be there for ten if it takes ten to see it. So I, that's where I'll be if you want to get a hold of me. Loch Ness. Quiet for eight years. So in, in 1982, the Loch Ness Monster was apparently quite active, according to Mr. Cage. It makes me so happy. He was willing to be there for, for, for another ten. ten. <laughs> that's well, that's disgusting. He must have found it. He came back. He came back and made a shit ton of movies. He, he found it, goddammit. Oh, that was boring. That happened awful quick. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much. It is a lovely part of the world. I would... Milk it for all I was worth. Look, well. I'm I'm sorry if I wasted so much time on that interview, but I I just really None needed to whatsoever. hear. I needed to hear that he was hanging around looking Look, for that let's goddamn put it this monster. Way, we did attempt to describe the plot of this movie, but quickly became derailed by the other events that were not pertinent to the plot, but were very pertinent to the film at hand. Don't think we mentioned the fact that Marietta, uh, Laura Dern's character, Lula's mother. At one point, had her entire face covered in lipstick. It's true. And this this event was spread over to two sections. She's talking to her boyfriend, who's investigating the disappearance. At one point, she's got a lot of lipstick around her mouth. Then there's some other action happening. Then it cuts back to her on the phone with him, entire face covered in lipstick. It was it. Is it because she's a witch? Was she becoming a witch? Like she had that I whole don't witch. Think so. She had the whole witch iconography going on there, and they often um, say that Lynch has a lot of Wizard of Oz references in his yes. work. Yes. Uh, another thing I was getting at, yes, Wizard of Oz uh, references. Quite, uh, it's, it's talked up about. I knew it going in before I'd even looked at it. And then, apart from the things that were very obviously Wizard of Oz references, I don't know if you noticed. There's the subtle point after Bobby Peru molests Lula, where she's wearing these red shoes and she discreetly taps the heels together in where the camera's focused on the red shoes and she taps the heels of the red shoes together. Yeah, it's Wizard of Oz. We get it. Okay. I, I don't... I don't know. Lynch has a road motif going in, in a lot of his films. Highways and, and and white lines and night thing and it is a, an impressionable image and there's a lot to be drawn from that to Wizard of Oz but that's... I, I didn't get the overall thread maybe individual moments they're doing that yeah yeah it happened look let's not talk about this film anymore let's leave it up to the people to enjoy if they thing. want to do it go ahead one more thing go ahead. i took three pages of notes not large pages of notes i had wtf written down seven times there we are take away you get to a bar is there some guy making fire in his hands is no he's not not referred to not mentioned there's is there a no is there a gent talking there's like a, a duck there's a guy going yep not talking to anyone, just looking at them and going, Hoo! and then off he goes. Um, Nicholas Cage uh, then drops the uh, the derogatory f word to a, to a group of gents at the end, um, then apologizes for calling them homosexuals because them beating the shit. A great line, which I particularly loved. Out of him, has I want to thank you, gentlemen. I want to apologize for calling you a homosexuals and homosexuals. thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. You've taught me a very valuable lesson. Um, 
Yeah. Can I also say I'm convinced that one of those guys at the end in the gang was Paul Rudd. Really? Uh, there's a very fractional glimpse. It looked like Paul Rudd with a mullet. Paul Rudd's first film role was Mm. Halloween 6. And that was around... What are you making? Oh, was it? Yeah. Paul Rudd's first film was Halloween 6. Not that I'm... Yeah, well, Nicolas Cage's first film, he appeared as Nicky Coppola in Fast Times Original High. So maybe you're missing something. Look, let's (laughs) I'm quite possibly wrong because I didn't see it in the credits, but they rolled past... Very quickly. Good. Let's wrap up on Wild yes. at Heart. I think so. But God damn it, I'd love to see a Nick Cage um, Loch Ness film. If someone could whack up a poster and get that off to the Cannes Film Festival, you can have my money. Anything as far I as have. I would love to see Nick Cage films, this film, as a final parting note from me, this is the last thing I have to say on the matter, is I think Nicolas Cage was amazing in this film, was underutilised. A lot of other excellent actors were in it, a lot of other great parts. I think... I would like to see every major part in this film played by Nicolas Cage. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Screeching! Yeah. Ah! Ah! Anyway. Let's wrap this up. Let's hear uh, your algorithm that you come up with uh, for your uh, final rating on uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart has a surprisingly positive commercial rating of 35 out of 100. Uh, I say surprisingly, maybe that's just my own personal opinion. Critical rating... Nailed up to 65. This film won the the uh, Golden Palm at Cairns, as Drew would say, or Khan, uh-huh. as most civilised people would say. Son of a bitch. Uh, it was one of three consecutive American films to win that on the uh, prior being uh, Sex, Lies and Videotape in 1989 and uh, Barton Fink by the inestimable Coen Brothers in 1991. Um, and, yeah, that oh, I'm a bit boggled by that. Anyway. Personally, I rated the film 40 out of 100. Uh, it was a lot of scenes, many of them very good scenes, strung together in an incredibly loosely connected way. Cage factor was 65 out of 100 because Cage had some awesome moments. He had the uh, karate dancing by the side of the road. He had the pointing the cigarette at the mother-in-law he, after just beating a guy to death. He flipped out of the car and did the karate dancing at the side of the road too. He, he did. did. He flipped out of the car. Like mm-hmm. I've got a whole number two moment is the entirety of the nightclub scene. There's the dancing. There's the confrontation. There's the singing. There's caginess. There's even, there's a lot of, in my notes I note, he's, he's lying on a bed while Lula talks to him, which is kind of... Maybe at the time it's like, oh man, women sure do love to talk. But what she's talking about a lot of the time is, yeah, I was raped when I was 14. He's not dismissing that. He's, he's stewing and it's brewing in him. There's a, a sort of growing darkness that doesn't burst, but it's there. Anyway, I would have liked to see more Cage in that regard. Didn't score highly. Overall, 51 out of 100 is, uh, is my rating for Wild at Heart. That's where you're sitting? Or 5.1 out of 10, as Drew likes to go. Awesome. What did you say for me? Well, you, you do it out of ten, so I I divided mine by ten to make it five point one. Five point one. Yep. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go, cut straight to the chase. Five out of ten for me. Oh, I love the cage moments. Was really good. Would have loved to see more of him in this. Obviously, I don't connect to Lynch as much as some, and would have liked to more. But um, like I said, if it was more cage would have been a lot higher score. So I still think it's worth checking it out, checking it out for the cage moments. Absolutely. And it's a moment to ponder what might have been. Uh, Lynch, as we said, awoken in the cage, his, his desire to move away from a more method style to a more playful style. 
If only he was given scope to play every other part in this film. Like, put him in a dress. Why not? Have sex with himself to be Layla. Layla. Sailor Lula. Layla. One common. Lynch will totally do this if he gets it. If he hears this, he'll make this film. <laughs> the man's insane. I'm sure he's going to listen to us after we've shit on most uh, of his projects. Anyway. We shit on him, but we've wiped it off. Let's move on. We'll be we'll be back very soon uh, to talk about Ridley Scott's Matchstick Men. Uh, but as a bit of a, a palate cleanser, um, <laughs> here's Nicolas Cage uh, talking about why women are attracted to men who eat cockroaches. You actually ate an insect yourself, didn't you, in one of your films? I, I, I ate, yes, I ate a bug, yeah. What was that like? It was awful. You see, I like bugs uh, to look at, but I don't like cockroaches to look at, and I don't uh, like eating them. And, <clears throat> well, they wanted me, me to eat raw eggs, and I said, well, that's boring, that's been done before, right? So I want to eat a giant cockroach. So they had these cockroach wranglers in New York City wrangle up these bugs that were about that big. And I walked on the set and I saw the antennas going, the legs kicking. And uh, I almost couldn't do it because every muscle in my body was telling me not to do it. So, uh, But I went ahead and did it and I couldn't sleep for three days and I couldn't eat for two days. And uh, it was a nightmare. Why not? I just, it, it just, it, it just was, you just don't eat cockroaches. You're just not supposed to do that, right? And I ate it, and I just, it really screwed me up. Mm. I, I mean, mean did, did, did Cher mind, do, you know, doing love scenes with you where you had to kiss her? Well, Knowing see, that you'd eaten a cockroach. She didn't know about it yet because I made that movie after I made Moonstruck. But I'll tell you what, I wish I had done it the other way before, you know, Moonstruck, so that I could kiss her knowing that I ate a cockroach and knowing that she would have to deal with it. You know, it's just kind of a funny thought. Is, is that something that you have to tell women when you're going out with them? You know, you say, oh, look, I've got a confession taker. I've actually eaten, eaten. a <laughs> um, No, they, they, sometimes they already know about it. And uh, it's the weirdest thing. It's like the wooden hand. For some reason, if they know you ate a cockroach, it just turns them on. I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But if you today go eat a cockroach and you go somewhere, go out to a nightclub and say, hey, Baby, I just ate a cockroach. I guarantee you, you heard it from me, you're going to, wow, it's just going to happen like that. From David Lynch to Ridley Scott, the next of our great directors, we are talking Ridley Scott's Matchstick Men. So before we get into it, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Sir Ridley Scott? Sir Ridley Scott. And when did that happen? Do you happen to know? I don't know exactly when he was time, in my opinion, but... No, I don't know when it was, no, that that the man was knighted. Uh, But obviously, uh, for those uh, playing at home who aren't familiar with Sir Ridley Scott's work, and of course you will be, uh, his first film was Alien. Uh, Um, He's done Blade Runner. He did Gladiator. um, Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. Recently, his films have been a little uh, little off the rails. The Counselor. was it Exodus, Gods and Men with Christian Bale was his uh, kind of Egyptian it? epic? Oh, it was too, yeah. Yep. Big films, largely, is what I think Prometheus. Pro- oh. Now, we, d- we did tease this little last podcast. Can I, can I hear your thoughts on Prometheus? Because obviously Ridley Scott started the Alien franchise with, with Alien. It was essentially a B-movie. They got the studio treatment. Alien uh, and Blade Runner are two of the f- my favourite films. I think two of the... Two of the best films in the science fiction realm. They're not they're not definitive by any means. They don't sort of set the benchmarks, but well, Alien they do has in a way, that yeah. horror meets science fiction 
thing. Love it. Slasher in space. Slasher in space. The, the, it's, it, and Blade Runner's it just... Honestly, it makes the best of a bad book. I think we can all agree. <laughs> Haven't read it, but uh, I'll take your word. Well. It's the, the title of the book is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. You know, and it's not bad because Philip K. Dick was a genius, but he was also schizophrenic and on drugs. He did love himself life. a long title. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. Yep. Just a touch. Just yep. one or two. Mm-hmm. And and in all honesty, let's say that Ridley Scott has kept Russell Crowe off the streets for the last few years. We're making lots of movies with him. He has. And that's, oh, he's that's about to head back out there. What what do you got, Ridley? Oh, fuck. Uh, Robin Hood. A takeaway menu uh, for a Chinese restaurant. Uh, yeah, whatever he can put him in there. A man orders Kung Bao. So, Prometheus, you are obviously not a fan. I was super excited when it came out. Mm-hmm. I went to see it. I was, ah, and then it just go. It was just, it's just a supremely bad movie overall. Leaving aside connections to the Alien franchise, which. I do have feelings about how it's messed things up. Was but it? leaving aside that, it's just it's overall it's it's a very bad movie. It makes no sense. It and so on and so forth. I'm going to come in and yeah. slightly disagree with you. You're wrong. <laughs> you also love Jurassic World, Drew. Yes. I, look, we didn't even touch on my. Sorry, uh, I haven't seen that yet. I don't feel. I, don't I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch it and then we'll talk about it. Yes, we will do. All right, but anyway, um, Prometheus. Look, yeah, yeah, we're on Prometheus. It. I think. I don't think it's the best alien movie in the world because to me they couldn't... It's not an alien movie. No, it's not. And they couldn't decide whether they wanted to make an alien movie or they didn't. It's not I an alien movie. I think they repurposed another script to fit into the franchise. I don't know. No, that um, Damien Lindoff, or however you say his name, wrote it um, along with Sir Ridley. Damien Lindoff uh, was responsible for Lost to give you an idea of how well he handles a payoff. Not that I was um, hugely if into I that series. If I keep it going, they'll keep giving me money. Well, I think that's what his whole deal was with keeping these films going, um, which, which he's been kicked off the latest one. You know, Sir Ridley's you'll in notice, Australia right now. Well, I was just going to say, you'll notice that the uh, the next film as is, is on the internet as a thing. Has Alien in the title? It does. Uh, Alien which Prometheus Covenant. didn't. Alien Covenant. Yes. Yeah, and they couldn't work out whether it was an Alien film, whether it was not. And I think that was, um, I think that was Lindolf's influence. But now he's gone, so hopefully we'll get things back on track. Apparently there's Xenomorphs in there. I mean, just, since Dan O'Bannon's left us, and I think that was a few years ago. I think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's it's not going to be quite right. Well, look, we'll see what happens. That's still out to the jury. Mm. So, anyway, over your quick, we've, we are we are a little sidetracked, very right now. Overall thoughts on Ridley Scott? Let's hear him. Ridley Scott, I am a big fan. Haven't seen that very many of his films. He's have you seen The Counselor? Prolific. I have not. No, apparently the director's cut is very good, and um, and they fucked up by uh, by cutting that thing With, down. Um, Cameron Diaz, Fassbender. Uh, is Fassbender in it? I, I think yes. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the, and the, the lawyer that gets into drug dealing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, apparently, the director's cut, which is only available on Blu-ray in Australia, is the one worth watching. Apparently, wow. it's so opened you can't your get eyes. Out of so, since 1982 with Blade Runner, where he had to put out a director's cut because he was so pissed off with how the studio <laughs> handled it, put out He's a director's cut of Alien it. as well. Put out a director's yeah, cut. Of Alien. That's a sign of a director that's going. You guys just won't fucking get it. Is he, this is not what I want. He's a cranky old man, right? He's got what I call John Carpenter syndrome in a way. Like he's cr- he's a cranky old man, yeah. I would buy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, he's old. Yeah, he is. So that's basically our thoughts. I love Alien. 
Um, massive fan of, of Alien. Uh, Blade Runner, yeah, I'm okay with. I respect it. Gladiator in the world. Yeah, Gladiator. Great good. film. Yeah, Great yeah, yeah. Film. So I'm I'm down with uh, Sir Ridley. Uh, but let's see how down we are with his film starring Senor Cage, Matchstick Man. Riva, uno, due, tre. Would you like to tell me what's been bothering you? No, I don't like being outdoors. Tell me you've left the house in three days. Mm. One, two, three. Have you eaten anything in three days? Mm-hmm. Besides canned tuna? Mm-mm. Anything else? Dirt. <laughs> Obviously, I have a lot of ticks. <laughs> These distractions affected your work of late? What would you do if you had to change careers? What, if I wasn't an antiques broker? If you weren't a criminal. I'm Agent Kellaway. This is Agent Cole. We're from the Federal Trade Commission. You've been the victim of fraud. Do you have any more of those L-47s? Oh, yeah, maybe in the car. Oh, wait a second. Oh, here we go. This is Dr. Klein. I just got off the phone with Angela, your daughter. She says she really wants to meet you. Remember me? All of a sudden, I have a daughter. Somebody in here! Hallelujah! You got a chick in here? It's a riot, huh? Little training bras hanging from the shower rods. <laughs> That's no way for a young lady to behave, and uh, shame on you! Just try to be as honest and open with them as possible. Right. You're a con man? A con artist. Wow. Flim flam man, mashtick man, take your pick. And that guy, Frank? He's my partner. Teach me something. Rule number one, never work near where you live. Don't. Rule number two, yeah. don't write anything down. <laughs> you regret it? Exposing her to that. Well, you know, it was a little. It made me feel a little. You know, it was a little. I really liked it. How much do you think we can take that guy for? Thirty grand. More. Five hundred thousand? A million? Come on, I'm twenty-one. This fourteen-year-old girl working these people with me. My dad's a smooth operator. <laughs> I'm not very good at being a dad. I barely get by being me. You good to go? Is a poke poo in the woods? Just say yes, okay? There's one last thing. What? I want you to give the money back. This is so... You think crime isn't paid? No, it does. It does, just not very well. So... Am I right in saying that this is probably, I think it's the only kind of comedy that Ridley Scott has done, right? He's got no other comedy really in his canon. Would you class this film as a comedy? No. You wouldn't? I wouldn't. You didn't, um, find, it, you didn't find it funny? Yeah. Not in the comedy sense. Some elements of the characters are funny. Sam Rockwell, honestly. Like that guy, his delivery of so many things is... He can make a bit, a I'm bit light, you know. I'm no, a fan. It's not a comedy, but he, but because he, he's playing that kind of character, that, that boisterous sort of high charisma con man. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, I can enjoy this and, and have fun with with watching it. For I sure. found this a bit of a comedy. I found it a lot more like not that I don't enjoy Ridley Scott's there other was, films, yeah, but this is a sense of, of fun stuff with the discovery of the daughter and ah 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 ah. Yeah, you know, look. But before you go into that, jumping ahead, just in case people haven't seen this movie and they've only just heard the trailer. We just watched the trailer, I think. it. I know. Tell me what this movie is about. Tell us what this movie is about. Well, Nicolas Cage plays Roy, who's a con man who has uh, not, not Asperger's. OCD. It's, it's, it's a, agoraphobia and a bit of an OCD thing. So he's got some mental disorders. He's measuring it uh, with, with medication. But he's got a partner, and all of a sudden he discovers he has this daughter from a relationship 14 years ago, and he's trying to integrate that 
into this world of his and also discovering where he is in this world and, and what direction he's going to take. So like him and his partner, who played by uh, Sam Rockwell, uh, Cage, like you said, plays Roy. Sam Rockwell plays Frank. They're con men. They've got like a sort of con business going a on. A bunch of scams going on. Like, it's, it's a beautiful um, self-reinforcing thing. They'll do a, a phone scam on someone, sell them a thing, get them to send them some money, and then present as uh, federal investigators investigating that. So I guess to shut them down, and then also to get their bank details as well. So, so it sort of it 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 shuts off any investigation, and they also get a bit more money. And yeah, so it's based on a book. Uh, yes, and uh, Matchstick Men. As far as I could tell from my research, which not a lot of people could pinpoint it down, um, Matchstick Men stands for Con Men because apparently back in the day, uh, Vietnam vets who were were blind used to sell matchsticks on the street for money so con men would pretend to be blind Vietnam vets and sell matchsticks themselves to get money. All I can say is every time I thought of the title of this film, because my parents liked bad 60s music, I have a strong recollection of the band Status Quo with their song Pictures of Matchstick Men, which we might be able to fade into at some point. Who Why knows? not? Here it is. Well, that was easy. Very easy. God damn, I hope I found it and put it in right there. So I hear Matchstick Men and that's like I go, and it doesn't happen anywhere. They've got this beautiful jazz soundtrack, but none of that. That, and that's where I, even the whole jazz soundtrack when it comes in, Cage even counts us in right at the beginning of the film and you got that very playful music and the very playful way the credits Sinatra, are done. That's why I'm Sinatra like, jobbies. Sir Ridley, he's But also he's a, double, fun. a double helping of Kid Rock, I don't know if you noticed in the uh, music credits. I did not, but oh. god damn, yes. So um, let's talk Cage's performance in this. He obviously uh, plays someone with, with OCD and I looked at a, uh, a lot of interviews. Big, big twitches. Yeah, real big twitches. I mm. think this is a perfect Cage role. This is where he excels. I cannot even begin to talk to you about how I agree with you on that. Yes, because he play, he's playing a big character. It calls for that. He gets to twitch out and go crazy. He's obsessed with his carpet. And just to give you a, a bit of a sense of what his character is like, here he is talking to his psychiatrist about his carpet. Look, Doc, I spent last Tuesday watching fibers on my carpet. And the whole time... I was watching my carpet. I was worrying that I, I might vomit. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm a grown man. I should know what goes on in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I should just blow my brains out and end it all. But then I thought, when I, well, if I thought more about blowing my brains out, I started worrying about what that was going to do to my goddamn carpet. Okay? So <laughs> that was a good day, Doc. And, and I just want you to give me some pills and let me get on with my life. And I'm just going to say, he contains this through the whole film. Like, there's, even at the end, you know, and there's, there's a reconciliation scene and there's just the faintest eye twitch that just, you know, with the rest of his face does convey, like, the, the heartfelt emotion that he's built up to that point and is projecting. I, I think it's a great time and, and clearly it's a character he's invested a lot of time in. He has. He says that he's got uh, lots of friends who suffer from a similar condition and when he was putting this character together he wanted to play someone who was real and not making fun of that but bringing truth to it. Which I still think makes for a, a really good comedic performance as well, the way his character is. Alison Lohman, who is uh, just, we're not talking about her, this is not her podcast, but holy shit, 
I've got a 12-year-old daughter and this 20-something-year-old actress this. going, yeah, I'm 14. It's kind of like going, I can, yeah, yeah, she's... You buy Maybe her? Maybe the pink t- I totally do. She had braces as well, right? She's, that's she had a, a retainer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I believe even Ridley Scott couldn't tell. I think when she auditioned, he actually thought she was a teenager. Um, she would later go on to star in Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Drag Hell. Drag Me to Hell. Awesome movie. Yeah, yeah. So when she auditioned, she dressed and acted like a 14-year-old girl. Uh, and Ridley Scott only realized her real age when she told him. She was 22 at the time. She yeah. Was, uh, she is good. She was older than that, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Old so enough. What, yeah. What's going on is basically, so we've got uh, Mr. Cage. He's got the OCD. He's got the thing going on with Sam Rockwell. They're Sa- pulling off a big con. They are. Sam Rockwell, great actor. You might remember him. Uh, he was in one of the Iron Man, Iron Man 3, I think. Iron Man 2. 2, was it? Iron was Man it? 2. You sure it wasn't 3? No, it was 2. Okay. Well, we'll let people harass us on Twitter if even anyone's even listening. It was too. Yeah, uh, yeah. On Twitter at, uh, at Cage V Cage. Cage V Cage, please. Reach also, out to us. Hashtag vestigial pelvis. Exactly right. Keep that one trucking <laughs> on. Uh, so they've got the con going on. It's a big con. And uh, then, of course, the daughter comes into the life who who Cage has a lot of trouble um, dealing with as a, as, as a dad. As anyone would. And how did you how did you feel about his relationship with his daughter as someone who you're saying deal with with a child who is also female who is also close to that age? I, uh, <laughs> I oh yeah no 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 it's all right uh, oh oh you say your dad's talked to you I don't want to I don't want to talk to him his psychiatrist called up you talk to him the psychiatrist yeah oh you want to meet him that's fine I'll just stay home you you go wandering off to the park and get into a car with this man you've never seen before that that should be fine. Off you go then. But having said that, clearly this child has evidenced um, wildness. She, she she does turn up on his doorstep going, I had a fight with her. And yeah, I, I do this all the time. I usually go to my other friend's place. But I just thought I'd go to yours because I, I know where you are now. So the mother's probably used to like the kid arcing up and taking off kind of thing. So, it, well. You're buying into it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's yeah, a very, very and awkward dad kiss. In the car, when he first meets her and he goes to say goodbye, he goes to kiss her on the cheek. There's a very awkward dad yes. kiss. There's a lot of that. Hashtag awkward dad kiss. Coming up, awkward dad kiss. Get, Hashtag. get that out there. I've I just want, I, if only awkward. Digital awkward dad kiss. Yes. <laughs> if awkward dad kiss could get trending and just no one else in the world knows what that means. Awkward I, dad kiss. That would be Everyone amazing. knows it. But it some people would have a secret meaning. Right. Yes. Yeah, no, I think, I think there's a lot of it there to do with uh, the way the things develop and maybe we're not going to talk about it or will we then no no we can spoil we can half. spoil the twist we can spoil the twist but let's just before we I do think the film has a lot of films generally have a lot of issues dealing with men and female characters expressing affection that is not an automatically romantic so that they don't know how to shoot it okay you know what i mean yep. it's kind of like they're just so used to well there's a kiss scene we're going to shoot it like a standard kiss scene yes but she's his daughter yeah, uh, I, th- I, th- I, mean, I think well, it was, I think well, it was supposed we'll to be filter, awkward. Whatever, it me. was supposed to be awkward. It was supposed to be awkward because you didn't know what to do. There's some it. great, I don't know if it's camera work or editing or, or particularly in, let's take you back to the earlier scene where they're doing a con, a woman opens the door, agoraphobic, mm-hmm. freaks out. And as the viewer, you experience his freak out in the way that the visuals are out of sync with the audio and the colour changes and the sharp cuts. I think that was great. All the way I, this is the first time, I swear to God, I've looked up a cinematographer on IMDb. Wow, there you go. It's Because I'm going, this guy, I must have seen some other stuff. You know what else he did? What? Pan. 
with Hugh Jackman recently. I, I've like not last seen year. that. It's Neither not has good. Anyone. Have it's you seen it? Good. You have. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's done other things, but nothing's kind of like you go. Whoa, yeah. A yep. lot of Ridley Scott stuff. Okay, enough. Well, there it is. Mm. Um, I mean, even Cage himself, once he gets back in the shower, describes that scene as bitching. He says it was bitching. It's a great. He's got some great. No, once no. again, I want to talk like Cage in this movie. <laughs> he, he's talking a bit like a standard, or and then he's just bitching. Bitching. He does it lots. He also uh, his constant curse word is pygmies because he doesn't like to say uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and when he's explaining to to the woman, once again, when they go out as the as the agents to sort of say that a scam has happened and, and they've actually been conducting the, the, the scam, and there's an Alan um, Burstein kind of Requiem for a Dream character who he's talking to who's sort of breaking down <laughs> crying because she thought she was doing the I right thing. I apologise. <laughs> but but, but it, she, she thought she was doing good for her husband. Uh, Cage sort That's of so explains sad. to her casually that there are there, there are a lot of whack jobs out whack there. Jobs. He gives it whack jobs it gets in there um so whack once job. again he's, bitching. yeah 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 he's got some great um uh, ticks going on uh i believe my notes were cage is acting his tits off he's loving it and so am i was the note that i made about i would film. disagree with acting his tits off he's definitely in control oh no this he's precisely yeah. what he's aiming at and i think it's perfect i'm i I'm, i think it's we've come far enough that i can say i'm so in love with this movie yes and cage's performance in particular that yeah, I'm going to go with you there and say that this movie is very underrated. Why aren't why don't people talk about this movie more? I re, I remember underrated. seeing it. In the, I hadn't Weirdly, seen you it. Might, you might say that, but uh, Rotten Tomatoes apparently has it at um, eighty three. Wow, eighty three percent Rotten Tomatoes. That's, that's a crit, medical Metacritic. But people aren't talking however, about it. Oh, however, commercially, the film. I don't recall the details of how much it cost and how much it profit, but I think it was about. It cleared out five million dollars, or something pathetic. No, it's, it must be more than five million because my my retroactively compounded figure is five. Uh huh. So the difference multiplied, but anyway, not much. Not much considering Wild at Heart had a thirty-five figure. Right. I'm glad to hear that you love this movie because I love this movie too. I remember loving it when I saw it in the cinema. Admittedly, I haven't seen it since. All and I saw was seen the trailer. And I was very excited. Going a. It's an unconventional story. Mm-hmm. Yep. B. It doesn't seem to. It's like it's it's got an interesting character with Ridley Scott C and Nicolas Cage C and D combo, and yeah, it, it all perfectly came together. I think they were meant to work together. I'm a little bit angry that there's not more Ridley Scott Nicolas Cage combos. Got to get those guys back together. Yeah. Perhaps Sir Ridley could direct the Loch Ness Monster movie starring I Nicolas Cage. Just think maybe Nicolas Cage could just don the prosthetic dick that. Is the alien monster and being in uh, Alien Covenant? Covenant. Yep, I would love that. Um, since we're, we're we've clearly admitting that we we love this movie, I want to just point out a few uh, quick things that I that I love about it before we just get a little bit more into the plot. Um, it's got one of the many things I love, which is um, someone standing in front of the mirror. In this case, Nicolas Cage practicing their character that they're about to be. Uh, the, someone standing in front of a mirror practicing their character is my yeah, third yeah, favorite yeah. thing in movies. The second, my second That's favorite nice thing in trope. movies. What is it? What is it? He says, it says um, international finances. Some people is like a, watching a foreign film without subtitles. Yeah, yeah. And then he even practices the laugh. He practices it. He does it in front of the mirror. It's I didn't a, get it. I thought I totally thought the joke was funny and then he did the exact same laugh. No, he's practicing the, the laugh. So that's my third favorite thing in movies is someone practicing characters and have Nick Cage doing it. My second favorite thing is someone walking through a plate glass window. I love someone doing that. Like in Halloween 2, Michael Myers just walks through the hospital through a plate glass window. My first favorite thing ever in a movie, like if this had had that as well, it would have been 10 out of 10 Over for me, top. is someone... Jumping out a window, doing a dive, sort of through a window, out just a team star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what I love. So anyway, so it's got Cage doing that. Um, 
There's amazing stuff about him um, lecturing his daughter, um, mm. his performance through the whole thing. You mentioned... Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, when his little chicks. Just- you mentioned uh, Kid Rock. Uh, I believe the yeah. song is I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby, which was playing in a strip club, which I believe plays round the clock in strip clubs. I just have that song on repeat if movies <laughs> have taught me anything at all. Cowboy played in the strip club. It's when... Uh, Angela's in the car while Frank and Roy are talking after the big heist. There's another Kid Rock song. I at first thought it was Beastie Boys. I had read it down the same thing. Was that Beastie Boys? I wrote down the same thing. I'm with you. Credits tell me it's Kid Rock. Yep. There's um there's that awesome there's an awesome chase scene. And you too, listener, could be as dedicated as us if you stuck around during the added credits of movies. There you go. There's a there's a great um, chase scene in the airport where they're trying to pull off a scam that's tense and awesome, so Ridley ups the tension. Gate, like the pain, the gates. Yes, I can't accept it. One, two, it's two, building. Let's go! It's so good. Then, of course, there is the um, awesome scene which you can find on YouTube, and which, of course, we're going to play right now. Which is uh, Cage. He drives through traffic to get to the pharmacy. Um, he needs his prescription filled because he really needs those pills. Excuse me. Hi. I'm I'll be right with you, sir. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, I need a refill of this. I don't have a prescription. Sir, <laughs> please wait your turn. I know, I know, but th- this is an emergency. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten until you pissed blood? <laughs> Listen, I- I'm sorry. I-, I really need it. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. Yeah, I-, I I, need a refill of this. Do you have a prescription? Well, no, but see, my, my doctor, <clears throat> my shrink, he gave me these, and they're, they're samples of... Darn it, I, I can't remember the name. It's, oh, Prefex. Prefex something. I, I, I'm sorry, sir. Without yes. a prescription, there's nothing but, in your... Okay, but you see, I, I have the packet. Wait, sir. So I'm clearly <clears throat> allowed to have them. Now, I just need four or five of them to cover me for the weekend. Let me see it. Thank you. And I am sorry, sir. These are supplements. What? This packet contains supplements, sir. No, no, no. My doctor gave those to me. They're, they're um, Prefex. They're supplements, sir. The they're, bullshit, they're... man! Prefects! Suplefem. Prefects! Aisle 4, Prefects. sir. Did you call security? That is a great scene. And finally, the thing I loved about this is you get to see Cage running bare-ass in a uh, in a hospital I gown and a wacky hat. so glad you mentioned it because I do have a line in my notes here. Three words. Cage, ass, shot, double exclamation point. Brilliant. This is a great oh, movie. Hat. Yes, the beanie little. Yes. Son, you got a panty on your head. <laughs> kind of. So, um, and during that clip, we did decide that we we weren't going to spoil the ending, especially if not a lot of people have seen this movie. I say see it. Is there anything else that you want to say about Matchstick Men? I think either way it goes, it's a great film. Uh, it's got the relationships. It's got Cage being all he can be, but not over the top. It's got Alison Lohman, who... <laughs> If you're not aware of it, it's just an irritating 14-year-old girl. But that's that's the beauty of it. That's the charm. It's what she's got to do. It's got Ridley Scott. It's beautifully directed. It's beautifully, photo- so beautifully photographed. Sam Rockwell, he's killing it in there as well. Yep. Uh, watch it. Okay, so do you want to take us through your algorithm and My come algorithm. up with what we got on this one? Let's discuss this. I've got some numbers to crunch. Well, commercially, Matchstick Men did not fare very well. We got a figure of five out of a hundred. That's bullshit. Big budget. I don't know how, which is what I go to. Ridley Scott's surely used to working with helicopters and armies and science fiction backdrops. This is like this is just a bunch of guys in LA. Do you think it was uh, maybe salary? Was Cage big at the time? 
he was, he was pretty big, right? Coming off the peak, I guess, of it. He was on the way down. He wasn't as What are we highest. talking? We're talking 2003. Yeah. Critically, though, how, and this is what I can't get. Critically, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Though, so critically, it's, it's widely... It, that's huge for Rotten Tomatoes. Personally, and cage factor-wise, I gave both of those figures a 90 out of 100. Could have gone higher, but they were both great. And, and it just smashed it for an overall figure of 67, killed by the commercial damage. But still... That's damn fine. That is damn fine. I'm going to agree with all of your points. Um, this is the perfect thing we look for in a cage role. His performance, like we said, matches the movie. So you get him turning his performance. You can say up to 11, but it, but that's what that role requires. You have a great director doing their thing. The story is great. I want to point out there once again that there is a twist in this movie that we are not going to spoil. So it's definitely worth uh, watching for the for the twist ending, but mostly for the performance of Mr. Nicolas Cage. I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. Um, I Solid. loved it as well. Um, see Matchstick Men. If you haven't, Get your ass out there and see it. You watched it on YouTube, right? You can pay and watch it on YouTube. I did, right? I did. I was able to sign up eventually once I found the eight pixels on YouTube that I needed to tap onto in order to give them my money. Right, yes. It is sometimes a bit of a journey. Yeah, you can't just like tap on any old part of the screen. You've got to tap on one particular small section of it. Yes, but this has brought us to the end of our discussion on Cage. Now, obviously, we're going to say which uh, film is the, is the is the crowning film of the year. I think it's not going to take a genius to work, work that out. I think one or two of us could think our way through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to say cage-wise uh, thus far? I know this is a, has been a bit of a journey for you. You've, you've been catching up on your cage films. Is there anything that you want to point out cage-wise or any final thoughts that you'd like to add? Uh, none, really, except that, um, amusingly, in hindsight, I think both of these directors, both of these films uh, coming to them would have gone there Taylor made for Cage, you know. They are. David Lynch, as we said, brought Cage out of his brought Cage out of his method acting shell. Yep. Like maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but but it certainly showed him like weird old kind of film ways he can do it, and and that can definitely be seen to have influenced him. And and Matchstick Men, when I saw it come out, I saw a trailer in a film, I whatever I was watching, I just thought Ridley Scott Cage. Con man kind of thing, not a thriller, but a bit of a bit of a drum, bit of a. Um, uh, she it's hard Leo to pin DiCaprio down. One that that Catch Me If You Can kind of. Yeah, kinda. yeah, similar to Catch Me yeah. If You Can. Yeah, it's got that and has that comedic element as well because yeah. of the the cons and the and the. And Cage definitely captures the character and and the humanity, and it's great to watch. No, this is. This is definitely high ranking for me. Need I say better than Catch Me If You Can? I think I'm going to be controversial and put that out there. I think it's better than Catch Me If You Can. Yep. yep. Agreed. So, our winner it's tonight... controversial, it's true. ...is obviously Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men. And I think it's going to be a hard one to beat at the end. Um, but in uh, wrapping up, what are we going to go for next week? We're looking at crime, I believe. We're looking mm-hmm. at bad cops. We're looking at uh, bad lieutenant. Port of Call out. New Orleans. Port of Call New Orleans, because... That they will note that it is not. No, it's not a sequel. It's not a reboot of the Harvey Cartel Bad Lieutenant. It's like, why are you calling it Bad Lieutenant? It's in the same universe. Oh, yes. Oh, that's who. Oh. Cage needs to get back and talk to Werner Herzog, who also directed uh, Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant. Also did a little Lieutenant? film called Incident at Loch Ness. I think he needs to get on that. Ah. Mm-hmm. He was sequel. Yeah, Incident at Loch Ness too. No, we're getting cops. We're getting. Cage as a seedy, sleazy bad guy. Again, uh, we could tie this in even to Snake Eyes, but we're not. 
And uh, the trust, trust, yes, with this uh, year dropped earlier Nick in March. Cage and Elijah Wood, and I, I don't know too much about this one, but I believe it, I believe it got pretty positive reviews. All right? All I know about it is there's some pretty handsome mustache action happening in Cage's <laughs> upper lip, right? And also, look, we've this next show is going to be great because we've got some handsome Cage mustache action going mm. on. Mm. Then over in uh, Port of Call, New Orleans, not only do we have improvisational Cage... There's going to be butt shots. ...working with crazy Werner Herzog. It's going to be nude butt shots. We also have Fat Kilmer. He's in there, Val Kilmer. <gasps> no. Yes. Oh, bless. Yes, there is a lot. Santa, you have come early this year. <laughs> there is a lot of great stuff coming up. So that brings us to the end of this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please hit us up at Cage v Cage on the Twitters. Let at us know what you Cage think. Cage v Cage on the Twitter. If you think that Elijah Wood has any other expressions other than comically surprised, <laughs> ping us and we will tell you if you're wrong. <laughs> That's possibly the greatest thing I've heard all He's night. Gonna go. I know. He's con- constantly comically surprised. His eyes are huge. They are huge. <laughs> so poor man. Let us know if we're full of shit on Twitter if you want. Pull us up on anything we got wrong or even if you've hated listening to us for this long. Please, please let us know. We will be back uh, next week with our uh, with our bad cops. What do you want to say? I'm in need of soothing after my nerves being jangled, Drew. Yes. Can you, you musical are. me out? I can musical you out. I can't. I can't musical you out with Love Me Tender because he saves, to, I need he saves that scream. for his wife. He I saves need, that for his wife. Wow, that's fair. That's All fair. right. I will warn you. I need um, to scream at me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, your house is going to be full of happen? your house is going to be full of banshees right. after listening to this. Oh, ah! we're going to play out with a little bit it. of Nicolas Cage singing Love Me. We'll catch you next time for the mm, Cage Fight. From Wild at Heart, Nicolas Cage. Treat me like a fool Treat me mean and cruel But love me Break my faithful heart Tear it all apart But love me Sex is where it's a hat.